All-Star edition of Canuck Central. The All-Star draft has come and gone. The festivities begin tomorrow and on Saturday. But the biggest story has been your Vancouver Canucks, all the trades they've made. And this is Canuck Central coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? And Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Maine or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. It's Satyar Shah with Israel Fair in for Dan Riccio this week. And, you know, we, we teased Riccio last week when he was saying he was gone this week that he's going to miss out on a trade. And he certainly did. And Izzy, you've been in all week, and we've had quite quite a bit of fun talking about this Canuck squad <laughs> and, and the trade they ended up making. I mean, we, we spoke about Lindholm all week leading up to yesterday. And we did. Ultimately, the, the trade happened. And we'll talk to Kevin Woodley coming up a bit later. We are going to hear from Patrick Alvin when he meets with the media later. So we'll play that pressure when, when, live when that's coming up here in a little bit. Uh, and we have overrated, underrated coming up. And um, it's one of those days where things are so, so fluid that maybe we have another guest at some point pop up, but we'll see how these things kind of occur because the players and Canucks people are in Toronto right now uh, having some fun with the All-Star festivities. But, of course, the big story remains. The Canucks making a massive trade and, and us essentially talking about it all week up until yesterday. Yeah, this today might be a little bit of chaos, but I don't think we'll compare to... I don't know, I'll call it two hours of us on air yesterday, live, uh, trying to figure out uh, what was actually happening. Of course, we did get there in the end. Uh, Elias Limholm, him on the Canucks, is uh, he's not going to be playing with uh, his Canucks teammates unless there's a trade at the All-Star game uh, with, the, with the draft just completed here. Five, the five original Canucks all ending up on the same team. Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, and Brock Besser. Uh, Lindholm ending up on the team uh, run by uh, Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. But we'll see him soon enough with the Vancouver Canucks uh, in just a few days once we get through this this All-Star festivity. And look, the last 24 hours has been a lot of people, I think, one, realizing Mm -hmm. that this team is for real or at least having to wrangle with that. To me, up until this point, talk about the PDO bender at the yeah. beginning of the season, and then how over the last stretch of time, over the last, I don't know, call it six weeks, it's become a little bit less about fluke and luck and, and PDO and shooting percentages, and there have been a lot of strong areas of the team being established, repeatable areas of the team being established. And now when you are the team still a month ahead of the deadline that goes out there and makes the big move, it's it's gotten a lot of reaction in the market and, and outside of the market as well. No, it, it certainly has. And I, I think everybody kind of views it as the Canucks being all in this season. That's kind of been the big talking point about them now that they go out and make this big deal, trade a first-round pick and, and trade some prospects and, and another draft pick as well that's conditional. And you do that, it shows quite a bit of ambition and it shows that you're willing to sacrifice. And without question, this is the riskiest bet the Canucks have made since... Re- Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin took over. Like, this is the biggest bet they've made in terms of riskiness because it could just be a rental. It could be something that doesn't work out, right? I mean, you lose It's not the, the most round. shocking, though. The most, shocking, the most shocking was Hronik. That was the most shocking. I think this is the riskiest. I think the Hronik one, okay, well, what was the risk to it? Well, he has another year of control, right? He's a righty defenseman. Even if it's not a home run, he's still going to be valuable. He's an asset for you. Yeah. Like, this is something that 
maybe it doesn't work out for you and come you're out in the first round and Lindholm leaves and you don't keep him and you've traded all that for a first round exit. That, that would be the downside of it, right? But hey, that risk always exists. I still like what they've done, but this is the biggest bet they've made. There's no guaranteed assurances with this one. And there is a chance you come away not having accomplished nearly what you had hoped for, right? So that risk exists. But having said all that, it's a bet that I think universally, if you're analyzing where this team finds itself, what it needed to do to take that step and to truly take advantage of the regular season they're having, the way the league is trending this year, and the chance you truly have, you have to give yourself the best opportunity possible to really have a shot. I'm not saying the Canucks are Stanley Cup favorites, but now they're a team that if things break right for them, they could do it. And before this trade, you're like, okay, okay, their record's been great. They've played fantastic hockey. They would need a lot more of those things to break right for them. Yeah, and health, obviously, but it would be things would have to soup really align for you to, to win the Stanley Cup with that team. With this team now, again, maybe there's a few teams you take above them in terms of cup favorites, but they can do it. And they have the pieces now that give you a shot. And to have that this season, after everything that this fan base has been through the last 10 years, seems like a quick turnaround. But it's been something that's been many years in the making slowly and finally it kind of turned around. But when you have this type of season, the only thing you can do is give yourself the best chance. And the Canucks did that by, by acquiring Elias Lindholm. Yeah, and that's even if it's a rental. And that's that's acknowledged. And sure, you know, Jim Rutherford saying that he's a player that they like and yeah. that maybe they would be able to, to work something out. That's that's a problem for, for the summer. This is a move that when you look at it in the context of this season, just makes a lot of sense for this team. And to me, sure, maybe... There are players out there, I saw this reaction last night and this morning, where people thought, well, Jake Gensel, if you get go out and get that guy, you have, there's a little bit more that you have to fit in cap-wise, so it's not as straightforward as this one was. And he's got the goal scoring, and that is just really identifiable to the eye, that mm-hmm. you can get a guy that is a bona fide top NHL goal scorer. With Lindholm, especially coming off last season and that poor play has carried into this season his value is not necessarily super high but he does a lot of different things well and for a Canucks team that still is not perfect but has raised its bar has raised its floor so much in the last year it it's it's the perfect it's the perfect fit of the realistic trade targets that were out there yeah absolutely and What's really interesting about this trade, too, the reason it works on so many different levels, even though you are paying a, a rental price, you're trading away a first-round draft pick, is that you created some cap space next season, as we've talked about, $5.5 million. And I was crunching some numbers last night, uh, Izzy, looking at how does the Canucks you know, cap situation look all of a sudden. And that $5.5 million doesn't mean you can keep Lindholm and keep Pedersen and Hirono and pay them all a lot of money, plus go and add more guys. Like, it gets tight at some point. And still regardless. tough decisions will have to be made. Yes, exactly. But man, it's infinitely easier envisioning ways to make this team better all of a sudden. You know, just with that five and a half million open, opening up next year. And it's the same thing, like, you know, you're looking at the future there and in the summer, it was the same thing with the roster was, A, Kuzmenko, it's not worked this season. He has not recaptured the brilliance of last year. That's the spot on the roster that this needs, that they need to upgrade. And so when they're able to mm-hmm. do two birds with one stone with uh, the, the Kuzmenko contract, him being the obvious glaring 
hole on the roster at the moment, and then mm-hmm. getting rid of that second year uh, will open up those those options in the summer. Absolutely, and it gives you enough cap space now for you to still tinker with the lineup. And Rutherford today made the rounds. He was on the Jeff Merrick show. He was on Donnie and Dolly as well. And he mentioned, as far as the big moves go, probably done doing those things. But they're still going to look out for opportunities to get better. And as we mentioned yesterday, of course, on the back end, they're going to be looking to make moves. And listen, if they could find a way to bring Tanev, I'm sure they would. It just might be too costly, given everything they've done so far to be able to pull that off as well. And moving money out still is a bit of a challenge. But you can still add a depth defenseman. Like, whether it's, you know, somebody on the lower end, like Ch- uh, Chad Ruweedle, Ru- uh, Ru- who's with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, makes 800K, yeah. right defenseman. They had him in the past. Do they look to bring some someone like that in? Do they take a bigger swing at a Chris Tanev or even like a Eric Johnson type or even a Labushkin type that those guys are still available. Mm-hmm. You can fit those guys in if you get teams to retain. So, I mean, you have a few different things you can still do to tweak the back end. And as far as the forwards go, as we mentioned before too, like I, I think you could add another guy. Could you add somebody who's slightly better than PDG at the very least to play with Miller and Besser if need be? Or could you find somebody who's on a down year, a scorer on the left wing, right? For instance, like for instance, if you can get if uh, the the uh, Capitals are out of it, and this is just a hypothetical, and you can get Max Pacioretty for like a sixth round pick, would you do that? I'd retain. He makes a million against the cap. Add a depth. If he doesn't work out, whatever. He's he's your thirteen forward, right? Fourteen forward or whatever. I mean, could you do something like that on the lower end too? I mean, these are the types of options you you all of a sudden have just because you saved se- almost seven hundred k making this swap. So it also gives this team a chance to still. Tinker the lineup a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I would be, I'd be stunned if they don't make at least yeah. one other move. Uh, and it, it could be something where it, this is when <laughs> it, it's a trade that's actually closer to the deadline, where some of those players that at the moment may, maybe aren't available or their teams are still figuring out what direction they're going in for this season come available and and, and don't come at, at a, a huge huge cost. No, absolutely. Uh, we have a lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650, courtesy of Dunbar Lumber. Uh, keep getting your thoughts in, and uh, especially for overrated, underrated, that's coming up a bit later on in the show as well. So uh, as far as what's going to happen next, I think that's going to be really interesting to kind of see how it unfolds, what the Canucks do. And that's not to say that they wouldn't do something bigger. One of the things I also liked about the trade, yes, you traded away a first-round pick, but you still have your some of your best young assets, Abbotsford players, you know, um, whether that's the put Coles and raw two types, you still have Willander, Lekaramaki, of course, right? And not to say you want to move Hoaglander, but you do have him still, and he's still an asset for you one way or another. So let's, for instance, say the next few weeks, a player that's, let's say, has some term on his contract, let's say it's a younger guy that can fit in here long term, what if he becomes available? You still have the assets to jump into that market as well. Because that would still make, like, regardless of what you've done with this trade, you can still make other trades that are costlier if a player fits into your long-term picture. Now, at the deadline, a bit more complicated potentially because, again, the cap situation and how to make that work. But I also like the fact that you made this move and you still kept your powder dry for a bigger move for an impact player potentially at some point that can be here longer term. That's why getting the sort of obvious move done early makes so much sense. Yeah. Lindholm, he did say to reporters in Calgary at the start of the season that he'd like to stay in Calgary, but by all reports, they were pretty far apart. 
in terms of figuring out an extension. So it really did seem like he's a guy that's going to get traded. Mm-hmm. And the teams that we were hearing at the beginning of the season were Boston and Colorado. Yeah. Teams that ne- really need you know, Boston quite obviously lost a couple of pretty good centers yeah. <laughs> from last season. And Colorado has really been trying to fill that 2C spot since Nazem Kadri left mm-hmm. to join Calgary. So would the Canucks be able to sort of jump the line? It's, it's It really accomplishes two things for them, right? They They have, in some ways, proven or doubled down on the run that they belong in that conversation. And then everything that you're saying, Sat, where it's not like they can't do anything else now mm-hmm. and, and not with the not talking about the cap talking about the assets where oh we we gave up all of our best stuff you see that with a lot of teams that are on, i guess we could use edmonton for example yeah if edmonton's going to make a move for another forward and they could use uh, someone else in their top six right warren fogel's been playing on their second line he's having a nice season he's a guy that surely they would prefer be on their third line but what assets we expect them to move there first Mm -hmm. just like vancouver did yeah what else do they have is philip broberg yeah it's it's not exactly this this long list of great prospects all of a sudden i mean dylan holloway they had big hopes for has kind of you know he kind of hit a bit of a plateau he's got to figure out he's an asset do they even want to trade him those are decisions they have to start making right and i think that's puts them in a bit of a tougher spot in terms of the type of pool they can play in and the canucks can still you know, when you have the types of young players and, and prospects the Canucks have, you can still make those deals and get higher end guys without trading your first round pick as well. We've seen that with Mark Stone when you traded away, you know, a good prospect and a second round draft pick. And teams do really value the higher end prospects. And if you're getting somebody with term, again, I'm not expecting it to happen necessarily. But that, when I keep thinking about this trade and possibilities still available for Vancouver, not only does it not mortgage your future, it also still gives you a chance to do other things. And, and that's something that I'm int- intrigued by, especially come the offseason. Now, as far as this season goes, we have a lot of reaction on a text inbox, 650-650. Rafe says, what about Toffoli? Again, Toffoli, the bigger issue what? comes down to, is he going to be available or not? Do you care about handedness now when it comes to Canucks forwards? So they got Lindholm, who can play wing right-handed. They have Besser playing the right wing, and he's right-handed. You have Garland as your right-handed guy, right? Mm-hmm. And Lafferty's down on the wing, also right-handed. Yep. Do you care about having needing a left-winger, pure left-winger, or do you just look at the best forward possible in terms of making another addition if you could for the Canucks? Because they could use another winger. Up front, Pre- preferably I don't think I'm left wing. about it. Right. Because you can shift Patterson there. You can still shift Miller there. Yeah. I, I'm curious where they're going to at least slot Lindholm in to start. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be on the wing? Is that going to be at center? Like we know he could be a, a really strong two C. It's just going to be the first game, the first practice. It's not going to tell us. It's not going to be able to be predictive to, okay, well, when they get in the playoffs, this is what they're going to look like. There's still a long road to go, but I'm curious what that looks like. Cause then you can maybe start to think, okay, well, if this is what they have in mind, for him, then you can start to look a little bit more at, at filling out the, the roster. Mm-hmm. Nothing's permanent, right? We've seen JT Miller have success here down the middle and as a winger, and we've seen him you know, struggle in, in both spots as well. Mm-hmm. Just the way the sport works, I think, it's the versatility is 
is valuable because things change so fast. Yeah. No, You're absolutely. not committing to one look or one lineup for for a long time. No, you're not. And you have the fle- the flexibility of this roster, especially with Lindholm. And I know we, we covered this quite extensively yesterday, so you don't need to repeat the same things about him. But the fact that he can do so many different things for you. And I just kept thinking about last night, too, the matchup situation. Not to say you're not worried, of course. I mean, you're going up against McDavid and Drysaddle. And if you're going up against McKinnon, uh, you can have uh, the best two-way centers on the other side. It's still not going to be an easy night. You still might get dominated. But having Lindholm now, you, he can he can legitimately play that matchup role, and you can survive, or at least it gives you a chance of living in it, right? So, and and then you look at it from a matchup standpoint. Yes, you like another four checker because if you get one more guy that can four check and is gritty and maybe plays a left wing, that'd be ideal. But again, depth is what matters the most. The only hole I look at now is really maybe having one more righty defenseman. Yeah. So you don't. So if in the playoffs. That maybe you have some, not that Juleson's not been good. He's been fine and more than fine. He's been terrific. But do you want to add somebody that you can trust a bit more than Juleson? That if you're not feeling comfortable with two lefties, you can make that switch? Because that can be, again, like if if that's your only weakness, you can address it. Should, should you not address it or at least have the option? I would. And it, it doesn't have to be Chris Tanev. That would be great for a number of reasons. The narrative would be great. It sounds by. Uh, all reports that the room would absolutely love that move. Mm-hmm. That one's a little bit more complicated, and maybe there's a little bit more chicken being played by the yeah. Canucks and the Flames in terms of is that you know uh, a fit that's going to work in terms of maximizing what Calgary like is Calgary going to maximize what they can get for Tanev from Vancouver? I wouldn't put the Canucks at the top of the power rankings there. But you do feel like, and you, you see it in the playoffs every single year, a veteran D-man who gets called in to, I mean, we, we saw it with Luke Shen in Tampa Bay before, mm-hmm. you know, before he came back to Vancouver. Yeah. Was, he was, he didn't play every game in those playoff runs, but he got the call for a number of games to mm-hmm. come in and play tough physical minutes as a, as a right shot D-man who's been, you know, to use the sports cliche, been through the fire. Yeah. Noah Juleson has improved throughout the season he has given them a boost on the pk but you wouldn't be doing your due diligence you wouldn't be doing your job if you weren't thinking okay well is there at least another option there for us that that ticks those boxes that for the most part i think a lot of that stuff's overrated but it comes up in the playoffs year after year that it these does. guys who have played in these games that have that experience uh especially in that role right you're not bringing in a guy except for Tanev where you would probably have higher expectations. Mm-hmm. You're bringing in a guy that might not necessarily play every game, but is going to come in and when it might be in the middle of a series, you got a game four, a game five, a pivotal swing game. You can bring in a guy that's going to be ready to play from the jump. That's not going to have the need to get back up to speed after yeah. basically just playing in practices or even just, you know, skating with the aces. It's uh it's, it's a different, it's a different environment. That's the Canucks are, I think now seeking those kinds of players, or at least should be as the, as we get closer to, to March 8. Yeah, and having those options, I think, can be real big swings, especially depending on matchups. And if you add that, all of a sudden, the Canucks are going to have a roster where they can pretty much match up against any type of team. Again, you being able to match up against any other team doesn't mean you beat any other team, but it means it gives you a fighting chance because you can play against their strengths and their weaknesses. If you get a bit more pace on the wing, 
You know, that's why I don't mind Toffolio, of course. I got, you know, he's still, you know, if you can find a way, of course. But I'm thinking if you get somebody that has some pace, gritty, get in on the four check and, and help give them a little extra boost, I think that could be a real nice mix. And then the pace for the team takes another step. And I do think Kuzmenko can be fast, but this year, when you looked at some of the, you know, um, skating numbers for him, like he was one of the slower players in the league. Like he didn't play at a, at a high tempo. Lindholm can play at a far higher tempo. Let's say you add somebody else that can play up top, adds a bit more pace. Now the Canucks don't look as, say, outmatched if Colorado ends up going, you know, they want to play um, at a high pace. You can play against them somewhat, right? You start putting those things together, small little moves, but then all of a sudden it's hard to find any major holes with this roster. And that's where we're at now. And that's a testament to what this organization has done to get to this point where we're talking about if you can make a couple minor moves, they may not have any, any major holes. Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, people will still point to physicality. Sure. And are you going to get enough of that? And there, I, I would think the game has evolved enough that maybe guys that don't necessarily have to show it during the season all the time. So Dakota Joshua clearly has the size yeah. and the physicality, but he's not the kind of player that needs to fight every game, every second game. Mm-hmm. I would believe, especially, I have to imagine his confidence is high given how well that line is played. And even going back to last year, how, how productive he was in different points of last season. That if the game required that kind of response, that he would be a guy that would be able to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's not like they're completely barren of it. It's just that the game's not, not played like that in the regular season in the same way that, that it was quite frankly, the last time the Canucks were a consistent playoff team. No, exactly. The, the game has changed quite dramatically to that point. But also, if you look at the teams that have an edge, it's teams that honestly plug their holes by having players that can fit their roles really well and, and not being outmatched and then playing the right way, really. And if you look at where the game is trending, the Canucks are doing a lot of the things that you want to see a team do to try to get to that point of truly competing. And now you're plugging the holes in your roster as well. Now, we are going to hear from Canucks general manager Patrick Alvin. He's going to meet with the media. We'll get to that and more as Canucks Central continues. It's Satyar Shaw with Israel Fair on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Back in on Canucks Central. And Canucks Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Maine or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. It's Satyar Shah with Israel Fair. And keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 65650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores, stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And... Uh, we are going to get to Patrick Alvin as soon as he uh, steps to the podium here. But before we do that, a lot of people have questions and comments. And, you know, uh, the trade appetite is insatiable for fans. It really is. And now that the Canucks have made one trade, they are begging for more. And a lot of names are being thrown in. Um, this one here says, correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony Duclair is a left winger with some pace. Not wrong. He is. Um, $3 million per year, so it would have to be some retention. But again, like it could fit in, right? As a depth piece, doesn't cost too much, most likely isn't having a huge season, right? Arpon says, what about Vladdy Tarasenko? Cost won't be insane. They would have to retain again. I'm just not... I, listen, You could, if he's there... I, I mentioned Pacioretty for dirt cheap as, yeah. as a depth option, you know, whatever. Sure, whatever. I'm just not quite certain he's the type of player with how he plays that he's truly going to fit in with this team and the expectations talk it's going to have with how they play. That's not to say that he can't, you know, step up or whatever. I'm just not quite 
sold on him being a good fit here. It's been a few years now that he's been really dynamic. I know yeah. he was, I guess, pretty good before getting traded to the Rangers last year and was okay in New York and has been about okay in Ottawa. I, I yeah, whatever that cost is going to be, and then the the cap gymnastics, I think, is going to be a, it's a little it's a little complicated. Yeah, I think so too, and I think that's where uh, I, I come out on that. Um, and honestly, given how the trade market's going to unfold, he might go, it's not going to be crazy price, but it might be a second or a third. You know, there aren't a ton of guys on the market, and you know we talked about this. The Canucks probably got the best player on the trade market. Now, if Gensel gets on it, different story. But in terms of center, clearly the best one. And come free agency, he's going to be the top target. And there aren't a ton of other ones. So maybe that inflates the price for the guys that are next on the list or whatever. Uh, Austin and Langley says, McKayev out, Erickson Eck in. <laughs> there it is. There it Sydney is. Crosby's neck. The Joel Erickson Eck one. You know what? Like we were saying, uh, the draft happened. Yeah. You know, the Canucks, uh, Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson co-captains. They had Jack Hughes and uh, Michael Bublé as their, as their celebrity. And they drafted almost all the Canucks. They picked JT Miller as well, Brock Besser, Thatcher Demko. But Elias Lindholm was t- picked by Tate, uh, Tate McRae and Nathan McKinnon's team. So we were wondering if we see one more trade involving Elias Lindholm <laughs> before. But, you know, we thought it would take Crosby. They didn't. So we'll see. I mean, Rutherford's not happy about that. But how does Patrick Alvin feel about the team in the trade? Here he is. Patrick Johnston, Post Media. All right. Well, I guess we have some uh, audio issues, t- some uh, technical issues um, right now. We'll see. I-, I guess they're doing this via Zoom. So um, a bit of a delay. Patrick Johnson. So it wasn't his fault, I guess. Uh, we don't know that yet. <laughs> Poor PJ. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as soon as as soon as the feed is back up and running, we'll go there and uh, we'll bring you Patrick Alvin's thoughts. Uh, after making this trade uh, for Elias Lindholm, and you know, on Lindholm in general. Um, I see people comparing him to Bo Horvat as well. I saw, you know, Islanders fans trying to take a dig saying, oh, they traded Horvat, now they gave up, you know, even more. But we'll maybe talk about that later. But here is uh, Patrick Alvin. Hey there, Patrick. Um, just off the top, tell us why uh, why you think that Elias was the right player to be a Vancouver Canuck. Um, hey, Beth. Uh, you know what? We're, look, we looked at different options, what was available. Um, Elias has been a player that that our uh, team played against a lot of times here over the years that I've been here, and for myself, being familiar with him and, and watched him since uh, coming up in Sweden, I felt that uh, giving us a right shot center, uh, a player that have competed at the highest level for years, and being uh, a really solid 200-foot player makes us harder to play against and make makes our coaching staff has more options in in the top six that that was why we were attracted to uh elias here it's it's also hard to miss the fact that he is again a swede um you know not just you being swedish but what is it about swedish players in general that fits the way i think certainly you guys want to play but perhaps the vancouver canucks have always tried to play well, first and foremost, I don't base any decisions on uh, geographic where where the players are from. We're basing uh, our decision uh, more on how the player are performing on the ice and what uh, characteristics he has off the ice. And uh, uh, it, Vancouver Canucks has a rich history of good Swedish players. And 
it might be that uh, the, the surrounding here of uh, the Vancouver area and, and the city and the people in Vancouver has treated uh, the, the Europeans uh, very good. And that's why they performed really well here over the years. And, and I think you can go back in history where Thomas Gordine, Lars Lindgren and uh, Peter Brosser, the, the Patrick Sundstrom, they, they set the stage and the respect for, for the next generation coming along. Is it still just me? <laughs> Jeopardy music in between questions. It might just be PJ. Sounds like it. Any more questions? Really? Wow. This might be the shortest media conference we've seen. One question, two from I, I mean, <laughs> I'll carry on. I, I, we, we saw the numbers in Elias that he clearly is a productive player. He can score. Um, he's a good two-way player. How have you seen him evolve um, as a player? I mean, he's so, surely someone, I mean, you would have seen him when he was with Carolina playing against Pittsburgh. Now he's playing with, with um, you know, with Calgary. You know, how have you seen him, his game evolve to the player that he is now? Yeah, I think it, it, his, he always had those characteristics in him with his high hockey IQ and is, is a very competitive player. And I think over the years, he, he, you, you mature and you establish yourself in the league and learning how to play the right way. And sure, in, in Calgary, his, uh, his game there uh, has been very impressive over the last, uh, I would say, four years. Uh, they had a good team. He was a big part of it. He played uh, against top players and, and he learned to, how to play in the postseason as well. So I think it's it's a it's a combination of maturity and understanding of what type of player you are to have success in the league. And just looking obviously at Andre, I mean, he was such an exciting player last year, struggled this year. Was there anything in particular you think that changed for him in terms of his ability to put the puck in the net, for instance? No, I, I Again, I said it so many times. He's a second-year pro in the National Hockey League, and the league is, is a tough one. Um, we, as a team, got better. We played with, with more structure in our system, and it's way more demanding. And we're a good team. Um, to, to, the other teams are not taking us light. I truly believe in, in Andre because of his skill set. And he's a great, great person and a great character. And I wish him all the best. I, I believe that he's capable of continuous scoring goals and making plays in the National Hockey. Now, uh, Ian McIntyre from Sportsnet. Hey, Patrick, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, thank goodness. Good job by uh, Patrick Johnson ragging the puck there. Thank you to the other Patrick. Our this was obviously at the top of your list uh, to get Lindholm. Uh, do you have more to do? Do you expect that uh, you're going to add maybe another defenseman or something like that? We'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll settle down here with the team. Uh, continue to talk to Rick Talk and then his staff, and and continue to watch our team how we how we continue to grow together. Um, and that that will dictate over the next couple of weeks if there is. Uh, Anything we we feel we need as a as a group here, or uh, how the players are performing, and 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 also what's available on the market and the price. And uh, Jim said, uh, I think it was on the Merrick show today that the Lindholm trade it could be a rental or or it could be long term. Is I 
ideally uh, you'd like to keep them. Realistically, is there a way that you could both re-sign Elias Pedersen and still have money for Elias Lindholm? Yeah, I think there's a realistic way. And I think those are the things that we always projecting when we do uh, business here. Uh, we, 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 every day you have uh, projection on, on your future uh, lineup and roster. And, and as I said, every, every decision has impact on the team now, but we also got to be careful moving forward. Elias is somebody that we watch for years and obviously going back to Jim that have a draft history with him. But the int intriguing part of his game, the 200-foot uh, right shot center, uh, those are hard to find. Next up, Farhan Lalji from TSN. Thanks for taking the call, Patrick. Um, just want to ask you about uh, where you see him fitting in. I mean, I, I, I know from the outside it would seem that uh, you want him to play alongside of Petey, and, and Petey has spent some time on the wing when he was with Miller, but generally I, I think the organization sees him as a center, so... Uh, how do you see that fit? Yeah, thanks. Uh, that was uh, something that I talked to talk here last night, and and he was excited uh, uh, getting a player like Lindholm coming into Vancouver here and what it can bring to our group. We've seen and a talk have talked about it that they like the pairs working in pairs, and and I could see uh, Elias and and Elias Lindholm and Pedersen working together here, um, compensating each other and and. Uh, bring a little bit difference uh, of a player type. So I could see that uh, that being that the coach give them a chance to play the game. What about um, on the power play? I know that kind of that fifth spot, whether it's been Kuzmenko, whether it's been Suter, uh, it, you know, there's been a bit of movement there. Do you see him providing uh, some additional support in that area? I, or guys, or scouting staff and, and myself, the games I watched uh, Lindholm, uh, Obviously, he's playing both special teams, and he has definitely qualities to be on the power play. Um, strong on face-off, and I think, again, this gives the coaching staff a chance to uh, to try different things and different matchups. But but I I would believe that he is a guy that they want to try on the, on the first power play. Uh, Barry Daly um, from Global BC. Hi, Patrick. You uh, Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Barry. Okay, great. Um, you did mention uh, his past, but that uh, Jim Rutherford drafted him in uh, Carolina. And, and a lot of the guys you guys have picked up, players and coaches, are, are people you've had past relationships with. How, how important is that to you to bring in someone that you, know, you kind of know already? I think it's important that we do our homework uh, on the players uh, on the ice as well as off the ice. And definitely when you have a history with people, it definitely makes you comfortable uh, with the characteristics. And in this particular case, there is a familiarity with, with Elias Como uh, back to his draft year. But also, we've, as I said, we've seen him here over the years and, and our scouts and uh, felt really strong about where, where Elias is right now and what he can provide to this team. And I think that's where um, we're somehow fairly young. Not much
that is Patrick Alvin, uh, a bit of a truncated media availability. But uh, mentioned, of course, uh, they wanted to get a right-handed center. They're very happy with Elias Lindholm uh, and his addition. Uh, but he is back, still talking. Here is Patrick Alvin again. How confident are you that, that the net's going to be filled with this guy if he's got the right people around him? Well, I'll put it this way. I think we have several guys here that have been talking that. And I think uh, Elias will just give those guys uh, another opportunity to get the puck and uh, put it in net. I, I don't necessarily see him just as a goal scorer. I see him as a, a passer first uh, mentality. And, and I think that's uh, what the intriguing part is where, where this 200 uh, foot game. And, uh, and as I said, another uh, option for our players to have a right shot. Uh, Center. I will do uh, Daniel Wagner from Glacier Media. Hi. Uh, just looking at um, you are making this trade well ahead of the trade deadline. Uh, you're spending arguably your biggest trade chip in your first round pick. Uh, this clearly was a priority. What made this player type a top six versatile forward? What made this player type the priority for you heading into the trade deadline? I, based on the conversation I had with the teams, I don't think the first or first round pick was a priority. There was other players in our pipeline that was way more prioritized than, than the first round pick. Um, I felt that, that our bottom six, the way it's constructed right now and the way they're playing, um, have find a chemistry and identity, how to play every night, and they've been very consistent. I feel our top six needed to improve a little bit uh, with a caliber player like Elias to find more consistency going down the stretch. and. Uh, we all know the matchups going down the stretch here. The last thirty-three games, it's it's coming down to uh, you know to tough tough matchups, and that's where you need your four lines to be be strong in in the two-way game. And that's where we felt that adding a piece like Elias here uh, for the cost what we what we paid uh, for for now, but it, potentially for the future as well, was uh, something that we uh, we felt strong about. And with including uh, Hunter Brustevich in the trade, this is a, a prospect that you used a third round pick on and you've seen him take a huge step this year. Is it difficult to kind of let a prospect go that you showed some faith in and he immediately paid off that faith? Is it tough to let a prospect like that go in a trade like this? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to let any player go. Um, and and this is where where the part of the business. I think you're building up your your pipeline and, and your asset pool. And those are the discussions that I uh, weekly or day to day almost have with my player development uh, staff and, and or scouting staff to see where each prospect is in 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 their path to make it to the NHL. And, and uh, you know, the reason why Hunter was in this deal was that Calgary really, really liked him as, as well as us. And credit to my to my scouting staff, uh, drafting a player uh, in this caliber in the third round. I have a tons of faith in my scouting staff that they're going to cont continue to contribute and con continue to find players moving forward here.
manager, that is Canucks general manager, Patrick Alvin met with the media after the game, a bit of a up and down availability in terms of some of the quality. We apologize, but the gist of it, of course, uh, some things we've heard before, but very happy with the quality of player they've, they've acquired. As far as what they gave up, and we haven't spoken about this a ton. We mentioned the Kuzmenko part of it, of course. You clear five and a half million, no matter what Kuzmenko does. It wasn't going to work with Tockett, you know, he at least was an asset as part of this trade. Whatever happens with him in the future, it wasn't going to work here. It was very clear, right? Now you have the money off the books. So either way, no matter what Kuzmenko does, to me, that's the win, getting the money off the books next year as well, plus getting Lindholm, of course. The draft picks we've talked about, and we'll get to the draft pick in a second. But as far as Hunter Brustavich goes, mm-hmm. it's it's the perfect example of selling high on a player who's having you know the best performance he's had in his entire career. Hunter Brustavich is very talented, and maybe he does become a really good offensive player. I cringe when I hear the Adam Fox comparisons because I just I don't think they're I think they're similar in terms of production. It's convenient. It's convenient narratives and all that. I get it, but I don't think they're all that comparable as players. To be honest, Adam Fox superior skater. If he was Adam Fox as the Adam Fox that we know now, top defenseman for the Rangers, he wouldn't have gone in the third round. No, exactly. He was just drafted a few months ago. No, Adam Fox was taken in the second round. I get it. Like you know, he was. Uh, I get it. Like I, I understand. Like what what people say uh, about. You know, um, you know what Adam Fox was, what he ended up being ultimately. Uh, he was third round pick, Adam Fox, right? So I get it, third round pick. Bushy was also third round pick. But I think when you look at the player profiles, offensively there are a lot of comparisons. Um, I think you can talk about the puck moving, you know, the vision, the shot, and all that. Sure, the skating, the defensive prowess, and overall IQ, I don't think are comparable. So I, I, don't, I just don't think that's a tier of player we're talking about here. If he hits, he's going to be an offensive player in the NHL. What could hold them back is his skating and his overall game. And we know those things matter a lot for defensemen, no matter how talented you are, right? So to me, there's still a long road for Hunter Brustavich to go before he's a National Hockey League player. But like he's he was such he's become such a good prospect at a premium position that it gave the Canucks a real asset to acquire something, and that's a win on their draft, a win on the year he's had. We'll see what he ultimately becomes. And honestly, hope, hopefully for him, he, he becomes the best version of himself. Like, I, I never root against anybody, right? Absolutely. I, I hope that he has a wonderful career. It's not a given, however, right? It's still a bit of a lottery ticket. But he's a guy that was picked in the third round in a matter of months, had enough value where, the, where another team said, like, this is the guy we want when we're, acquired, when we're trying to trade away one of our key players. This is how I look at defensemen. And by and large, it's pretty easy to figure this out yeah there are the guys that are drafted at the high end of the draft you know vancouver it's quinn hughes there are those players are undeniably top pair players anyone else that's not in that group has to prove so much to push themselves out of a third pair Mm -hmm. it's why if you have a strong second pair and there, there are a couple of texts here that we got while we were talking about all the canucks strength saying the canucks really only have two top four guys and that their second pair is is still up for up for debate and that is a fair conversation a separate conversation of this one but if you're not to get to that point to become a reliable second pairing defender yeah it takes a lot more than just having some offensive skills because those roles generally mean you got to play a lot of minutes you're probably having some tougher matchups because the guys at the top end the guys like Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr they can play a lot of minutes. They can mm-hmm. put up a lot of points. They're, they're, they can do it all. 
we're not talking about a prospect that was in that class. So to me, he even if it's a great story, even if he's got all of these tools at his disposal that he could be an offensive player. I mean, like we're not that far removed from talking about what Jack Rathbone could be. Yeah. As hey, this guy's got an offensive skill set in the NHL. Now Hunter Bruskevich could be, you know, leagues better than that. But we were looking at, oh, is, is Jack Rathbone the kind of guy that could be on a second pair? And mm-hmm. that in Vancouver certainly was proven not to be the case. And if you're not going to be reliable defensively, you're not going to end up on a third pair either. No, absolutely, right? So I think again, uh, we'll see what he becomes ultimately uh, and maybe has a promising career, but it's going to take a lot for that to kind of come in. Now, Mike in, in downtown Kelowna says, uh, did Calgary value Brustevich uh, more than Ratu? Ratu will, will never be a full-time Canuck. I'd actually say uh, when Rutherford himself mentioned that Conroy pointed to the Horvat trade and said, that's kind of the template we want for Lindholm, and they worked off of that, but clearly not the same because of the volume was different. I think the draft picks are significantly different. They ended up being the 17th overall pick the Canucks acquired from the New York Islanders. And this pick is, you know, I mean, who knows what happens. Unless they lose every game the rest of the way, it's not going to be like the 17th, 18th overall pick, right? Like, it, it's not going to happen. It's going to be something in the 20s. And I think that's a sizable difference. Like, if you have a top, say, 17 to 20 pick, that's a far better pick than getting anywhere later in the 20s. Like, there's it's a pretty big drop-off. The drop-off is huge. It, it's pretty steep once you get into the 20s compared to, like, before the 20s. So 17th. And I mean, it's pretty much one, and then there's a drop that's not huge, but there's a drop to two, three, four. Yeah. And then between five and 15, there's there's another drop. Yeah. And then there is, again, you know, like whatever, call it 16 to 22. And then there's a huge, and then and it's, there's a massive drop-off. And you look at the numbers, how many of those players yeah. actually end up making it to the NHL. It's a pretty small percentage. So I think the pick was far better. And also, when the, dra- when the trade was made, the pick could have been unprotected the next year, which would have been this year, depending on what happened. And there was a chance that that pick could have been even 14 or 15 or 16, depending on. Like So when the trade was made, the potential for that draft pick was significantly higher than the draft pick. Like, oh, significantly. People were excited about the, they were. the potential you know, of that draft pick. It was. Pick. And you, you play, paid for that extra lottery ticket, too, to some extent, right? So you got this really good first-round pick. One of the best first-round picks we've seen traded in a rental situation, which ended up being an extension in recent history. Because usually those picks end up being in the 20s. This was, you know... And potential of being far better as well, right? Atu Ratu, I still think, is a better prospect today and thought of more highly than Hunter Brustevich. I think there's a far easier, there's a far better pathway for Ratu to be an NHL he's player. He's certainly closer to the NHL. And he's, he's going played to play in the NHL. Yes, he's going to be like, and, you know, just by virtue of that, of course, but also in terms of like impact. Like Ratu was their best prospect. Now, not a great prospect pool for the Islanders, but like, I think it's comparable. Like, I don't know. I, I would think that Ratu is a higher-end prospect to me. Like, when I do Canucks prospect rankings, I have Ratu as a top-five prospect. I didn't have Bruce Davis as a top-five prospect for this team. So, to me, like, you still got the better prospect, you got the better pick. And, essentially, what the Canucks did was make up for it in the volume they gave, giving that fourth-round draft pick as well, right? Throwing Yanni Yormo into it as well. And Kuzmenko is a better player they gave up than Bavillier, which the Canucks could receive. There's a higher end to Kuzmenko, and more potential for flipping him than the Canucks had in acquiring Bavillier. So I think that's how the trades are comparable. But the main assets, I think the Canucks... But more cap, more cap more on cap. Kuzmenko. Kuz, yeah, absolutely, right? So I, I so that's a counterbalance to better is. player. And also, as you said, whatever he ends up doing, let's say it, it's ultimately in Calgary over the rest of this season and next year, 
cannot be compared directly to what it would have looked like in Vancouver because yeah. the environment's completely different. Yeah. Completely Same with Lindholm. Yeah. Lindholm's going to come here and the Canucks hope is play the style of game that they've been able to play. He gets to play with top end players. He's leaving an environment that for the last year and a half has been an absolute offensive suck. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing about this too, I've, I've heard the comparison of Bo Horvat to Elias Lindholm as players and listen, they're comparable in terms of like both probably best suited to be on your second line on a good team. Both guys that can win face-offs, right? But I think Lindholm in many ways is the player a lot of people thought Bo Horvat was. Player mm. that plays in every situation. Yeah, Horvat could find himself in every situation. Did he excel in every situation? Lindholm can excel in every situation. Horvat could play a matchup role and maybe, you know, at best he'd, he'd hold he'd his own even. at yeah. times, right? But it was a bit of up and down, but that's kind of what it was, right? Lindholm excels. Horvat could play on your PK, eh, very average in terms of PK ability. Lindholm excels on the PK, right? Playmaking, Lindholm's a better playmaker. Horvat, better goal scorer. You know, his rates have been better too. Uh, you know, Lindholm has had a better peak with the 42 goals, but if you look at their careers, you know, Horvat's been the more efficient goal scorer for his career, right? So, so the better shooter, right? Maybe the better straight-ahead player driver that can go to the net as well. So I think he has some of those traits. But I think Lindholm's the far better overall impact guy. So when you looked at the team last year, and we had this big discussion around JT Miller and Bo Horvat, and who do you keep? My big thing was you can't keep both, not yeah. only because of you know the commitments the, and everything, cap, yeah. but they're too similar. Yes, they're different in their skill sets, but neither's a true matchup guy. Neither's a true PK guy. And do you want to have Pedersen doing all those things? So which of your top six players can do that for you? And neither of them could. And when I'm building out a team, I want one of my centers, especially one of my higher end guys, being able to play in every situation. Because you can talk about a third line doing it. But really, the days of having Chris Draper go out there and play against <laughs> the other team's top lines, like they're done. It's, it's about matching up your top six. The, yeah, best on best. Yeah, so if you don't have a guy that can excel in that role like that... You have to be really good in yeah, different a specialist player so, so to I, be the matchup guy as a non-top six player. So I think Lindholm's just a far better profile for the team than a Horvat would be anyway. So when I hear those things, I just, just didn't quite jive with the reality of the situation to me. I'll add one more to that comparison. Lindholm, we have seen, does not have to be the best player on his line. Yeah. How often was Bo Horvat considerably the second best player on his line? Not very mm -hmm. often. And that is a fit thing to what you're saying and just in terms of fit. Lindholm is the type of player with his skill set that can complement players that are more productive offensively. Yeah. Horvat tended to have to play with players that he was going to drag up. And the ceiling on him as a player, high. He's a legitimate top six forward on a, on a contending team, but it's not like he's he was playing with the top players on the Canucks. That limited his value, whereas we've seen JT Miller can play with a, a number of other players. And mm -hmm. like I said, Lindholm at his best, that 40-goal season where, where we're talking about his peak, that's playing with Goudreau and Kachuk, who but that season, those guys were, were top 10, top 15 players in mm -hmm. the league. No, absolutely. And I just, I'm with you there on, on Lindholm in terms of the type of player he is compared to Horvat, which is a po talking point that has come up uh, the last few, I mean, I'd say the last 20 hours or so. I'm, I'd say a few days. It feels like days. A lot's happened in the past 24 hours. All right. Uh, we are going get, to get the thoughts of Kevin Woodley from Ingoal Magazine and NHL.com. That is coming up next. It's Canuck Central with Satyar Shaw and Israel Fair on Sportsnet 650.